Well, we're in a series entitled Build. And in this series, we're talking about how Jesus builds his church. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, I will build my church. And if he's going to build it, then we're just considering how does he do that? What does the whole counsel of God teach us about how Jesus builds his church? Paul picks up the idea of the church, the people of God in Ephesians, and he says that we are the pillar and the buttress of the truth. Well, those are architectural terms. Those are terms that help us understand as well what our role in Jesus's work of building his church does to fulfill that. And so we're picking up this idea of pillar and we're looking at four pillars of our church. Now, this idea of pillar, let me give you a little explanation about that as well. We can all kind of, we know what they do, but but articulating it can be kind of tricky. And so I want to help you understand what we mean when we say we're speaking about the pillars of our church. Well, pillars take the stability of the foundation and they raise it, like you see the beams here on the side of the room, to create inhabitable space where people can come in and enjoy the indoors and get out of the elements and enjoy all the benefits of being indoors. In the church, the church is based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians 3 that there is no other foundation other than Jesus Christ that can be laid for the church. But these pillars that we're speaking of, also known as our core values, they raise the stability, the foundation of the gospel, so that people can come into this relational space known as the church, where Christians and, and people who uh, are followers of Christ inhabit, and they can connect with God and connect with God's people, where they can hear the word of God preached, where they can serve the Lord, and where they can see their lives grow into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what the church is all about. And so we're looking at four pillars for our church. We talked about the first week um, uh, relationship, how it is that we've been made alive with God. The second week we talked about authenticity and what it looks like for us to have life in Christ Jesus. The third pillar last week was expression and what it means for us as Christians to live by the Spirit that inhabits us. And today we're going to look at the fourth pillar which is mission. Mission And mission is life with the Spirit and so as we look at these today, I hope they're encouraging, I hope they help you, and I hope most of all they give greater understanding to who we are as God's people, as the church, and what God is doing for us. In this fourth pillar, it's important for us to understand this isn't just the fourth thing on our to-do list for God, but actually each of these values extend from the previous to the next. They're all consuming of our lives. And this fourth pillar reminds us this, that when God saves someone, he sends them. When God saves you, he sends you. And that's the very element that we're looking at today, that we are on mission with God's Holy Spirit in the world. Here's the big idea that I want you to walk away with today. God saves through Jesus to send Christ followers with his Holy Spirit to impact the world with the gospel. 
Now, I want to take a little bit of time to try and tie these together a little bit. I don't want to confuse you, but I do want to hopefully clarify how these extend because Scripture sets forth mission as not only what God is doing in the world, but at the very point where which God's followers join him in his work. This is where we engage the eternal work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He calls us to this. And so as a core value mission is how the church makes Jesus known in the world as we work with the Spirit to transfer the glory of his truth through the gospel in which we are being renewed daily to a world that remains enslaved in the kingdom of darkness So that they too can have reconciliation with God. That's basically what I'm going to unpack today and what I want to set forth for us. I want to do this by four defining marks that God's commissioning places upon us. That salvation with Jesus puts upon the life of every person who is a Christian. And here's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to span the six occurrences of what we understand as the Great Commission in Scripture. So I'll give you all the passages we're going to look at. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. We're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapters 24, verses 48 and 49. We're going to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to look at John chapter 20, verse 21, which should have come before Acts, but I put Acts and Luke's together. You'll see that in a minute. And then we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what I would consider the Apostle Paul's account of the Great Commission. Each of these passages parallel one another in sharing each gospel writer's account of Jesus' last words, and henceforth his commission upon us, his followers. Let's begin with the first defining mark of mission for the church. And here's what it is. Mission means that Christians are marked with an authority to make disciples. Christians' lives are marked with an authority to make disciples. This is how Matthew records his account of the Great Commission. All authority, Jesus is speaking here to his followers, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, that's all I want to read because I I believe these center our thoughts and our ideas this morning. Matthew's account of the Great Commission is probably the best known of any of them. It's definitely the most quoted or cited of all of them. But the way that Matthew begins his record of the Great Commission of Jesus is by Jesus bestowing his authority on his followers. You say, where did Jesus get his authority? Jesus received his authority from the Father through his finished work of his crucifixion on the cross, his being buried in the grave, and being raised three days later. And when he gives the Great Commission, he stands before his followers just before he ascends back into heaven where he rules and reigns from today. And so when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he is speaking of the completed, finished work that he accomplished on the cross and with the empty tomb. And because of that work, now he is the authority holder and he is the holder of all authority. 
And the reason he bestows his authority on Christ followers is because that is the very authority that is required to make disciples, to do what he commands us to do. You see, disciple-making is inherently spiritual in nature. And without the authority that we receive from Jesus, no matter how great our intentions, how adept our work, or how accomplished we could become, we could not do it because it is distinctively a work of God. People don't make Christians. God makes people Christians. And we cannot do the work of God without the power and ultimately the authority of God in and upon our lives. And that's what Matthew is teaching us here, that we are given all authority by Jesus because it, the work that we are commanded to do by him necessitates itself upon that work. When we join the Holy Spirit and his work in the world, it's not that I got this God and God takes a break. But we're coming alongside the eternal work that God has been about doing from all eternity past, today, and for all eternity. See, friends, building the church is not about conforming to cultural fads and trends that are popular today. And building the church is not about anchoring ourselves to the way it used to be when it was oh so good in the golden years. I saw someone tweet this week a phrase from a theologian of generations gone by that said these two things are the equal yet opposite wrongs that the church tries to cling to when it separates its own plan for God's plan. It either just follows the cool path that everybody's doing today or it tries to cling to the memories that it holds of yesteryear. And what do we do with even the bad memories? Oh, we don't want to keep those. So we hold on to the good and that's all we remember even when the challenges were inherent. And what our commissioning is today is to follow God today, friends, as he is working in the world. For making disciples is the process of of the Spirit of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ engaging the heart and the mind of people to, to repent and to believe the truth of Jesus Christ. And as disciples, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we began to, because of the gospel, rethink everything about our life and think about it in a paradigm of redeeming what is broken by sin so that it can have value returned for the glory of God in all things, not only in our life, but in this world. And as people who are followers of Jesus serving with his spirit on mission in the world, this is the labor that we are doing. And it is through this labor that God brings about the transformation of lives that only he can do. You see, Jesus gives his authority to Christians because the work that he commands us to do of making disciples is distinctively spiritual in nature. We need it and he gives it. But not only does Jesus give his authority to determine the kind of work that we do, 
but he also gives it to determine the realm of where his work is to be done. Or shall we say the where of, he want, of where he wants us to fulfill this work. Paul in Romans chapter 10 cites the prophet Isaiah in chapter 52. When Isaiah says this, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of them who brings good news. It's interesting, isn't it, that the gospel is good news, but when you look at the characteristic that he amplifies here, it's feet, not a mouth. Now, surely the mouth plays an ample part, but he's looking at the bigger picture of the movement of God's good news coming across the earth. And what is Isaiah saying here? Well, I think he is capturing the very element of what the gospel of Matthew is telling us. The gospel is good news. Why then does he identify our feet as beautiful and not our mouth or our tongue or our lips? And here's the very thing that Matthew is teaching us, that mission makes feet beautiful because feet follow the root where authority already reigns. I'm going to give you two illustrations this morning to help you understand the thrust of what Matthew is saying to us. And the first one is one of the most infamous pictures in American history. It's the picture of the servicemen raising the American flag on the hill of Iwo Jima right after they won that battle. And my question to us is this, why were they able to raise that flag on that hill? For one reason, because they had won the battle. When the battle is won, the flag gets raised. And what Matthew is teaching us is this, that when Jesus' authority is established, his people can move in with his good news. I'll give you one other illustration that will help us on this. The U.S. government has a website that they keep up to date, or I guess they do, they're supposed to, that basically tells uh, uh, whether or not where you're wanting to travel internationally is safe for you to go or not. It basically tells about what level or what extent does the United States, the sovereign nation of the United States, have authority in the different countries and regions and nations of the world. And some of those countries, it says, hey, we have a great relationship. Uh, we're recognized with our authority as a sovereign nation. Go have fun and enjoy yourself. But there are some things you should know about. And then there's other places where it says, you shouldn't go there. We don't have any recognition of our sovereign nation status there. If you go there, you're on your own authority. You see what I'm saying here? What Matthew is telling us is he's telling us that all authority in, on, in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus and Jesus is bestowing that authority on us because Jesus' authority establishes where our feet tread. And do you know where that is? Well, there's a little Greek word that starts the sentence. All. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go. You see, what Jesus is saying is he's telling us where the realm of his authority is established. So the geography of where we can travel to give the good news is okay. And what he's saying is there's no place that we as Christians cannot go. And the authority to make disciples does not remain upon us Jesus is Lord. There is no realm of life that the gospel does not speak 
to with glory and saving power. Therefore, there is nothing that you will confront or be confronted by in life that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't offer a better word of hope. Jesus' authority is there. Let your feet tread there up on with the gospel. That's what Matthew is telling us here, friends. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Wherever you go, whomever you're with, whatever you are doing, do it in the name of Jesus to make disciples because his authority reigns there and it has been bestowed upon you. I hope you're beginning to sense, for those of you who remember two weeks ago when we talked about authenticity, life in Christ, and how it is that the principal confession of the church is Jesus is Lord. So in this value of mission, we take the principal confession of the church and we apply it to move it forth in the world. Our message is this, that Jesus is Lord. He is good and he is worthy. We invite you to repent of your sin and to worship him. And that's what we are doing in making disciples. Jesus gives all authority, friends, not over only of geography, but in the spiritual realm as well. For the Bible tells us in Genesis that sin is crushed by the heel of the Savior. Staying with this foot analogy here, it's the heel of the Savior that will be struck by the serpent, but will not be struck down because the heel will crush the head of the serpent. And we are also told that God will take all things and he will put them in their rightful place as the footstool of the Lord's throne upon which when he rests himself and has no concerns for that which threatens him, he will stretch his foot upon all things and they will rest under his authority because they can do no other without it. You see, we see this throughout the scriptures, that when Jesus is on the sea and the sea becomes tumultuous, he's sleeping like a baby. Why? Because it's his footstool that he's not concerned about. But the disciples get concerned, don't they? Scared for their life, waking him up, going, man, can't you do something about this? And as he stretches from his nap, he goes, yeah, I can do something about it. Be still. And the wind and the waves stopped. We see in the Gospels when he walked along the streets that the serpents who inhabited people's lives and the spirits of Satan that were wreaking havoc on people's lives would literally run away from him. Because of his authority. And they would not come near him unless he said come here. And then they could do nothing other than come near him. Jesus has all authority. He commands every spirit. He commands all creation. We, his followers... 
friends, live with his authority on our lives. This is the first defining mark. And you see the essence of Jesus and his commission for us to make disciples doesn't mean we won't face hardships, doesn't mean we won't be confronted by challenges, but it does mean that no matter what we face, whatever it is, is under Jesus' authority. Therefore, we can be courageous and bold while we are humble and submitted to him as well. He gives all authority so that no matter where you are, whom you're with, or what is coming against you, he is still Lord. And that is all that matters in making disciples. You see, in making disciples, what we're doing is just testifying to the supremacy of Jesus in all of life. That confession we make to become a disciple, Jesus is Lord, forgive me of my sins and cleanse me throughout, is the very confession that we move forth proclaiming as supreme in all of creation. For there is no issue of life that Jesus does not speak to through the gospel. There is no circumstance you will ever face or situation you will ever find yourself in that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not speak a better word to you. Whether it's your physical surroundings or your surround, or the realities of those or whether it is the internal turmoil of your life, the gospel of Jesus Christ brings his supreme lordship to bear upon all things. And every promise that he has made to you is not only true but will be true for you because he is Lord that's the kind of authority that Jesus bestows upon our lives disciple making is not because of who we are but because of whose we are it is distinctively the work of heart change when by faith people repent and believe in Jesus and hear me disciple making occurs listen to this friends not when we do the right activity, but disciple-making occurs through our life when we as a disciple are being made by Jesus in our own life. You see, it's not just about a work that we go do for him. It's about a work that he is doing in us by his authority. And this is important because until we understand the authority of Jesus and what he has put upon us, we will not be submitted and surrendered as we must be. Because when we go out and do for God without being submitted before God and letting him work in us, we'll think it depends upon us. But when we submit our lives to his authority, to have his way in us, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. How many times have you seen clay on the spinning wheel going, wrong shape, let's do that again. Mold me and make me after thy will, the hymn says. Yielded, I am still. The first mark of mission is that we are given authority to make disciples. God's work given to us to join him with his spirits. Spirit, excuse me. 
Now you say, okay, so if this is what we're supposed to do, how then will we do it? Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 16, because I believe the second mark that we see in Mark's account, these words are going to get a little confusing, I'll try to use them as little as possible. When we see Mark's account, I believe we see how he's going to do this. Mark chapter 16 verse 15 says this, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. I don't know about you, that sounds pretty comprehensive, does it not? I mean, it's everything, everywhere at all times. Whoever, you hear that? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. How many options are there? There's one. We're already condemned in sin, Romans says. But when you hear the gospel, if you believe and repent to receive forgiveness, then you have received the eternal life. Here's the second mark. Mission means that Christians are marked with the good news of salvation. We are marked with the good news of salvation. Mark, the gospel writer, demonstrates Jesus' power. He is writing to an audience of the Roman world. That's his main aim. These are the people he's wanting to speak to when he shares the gospel with them. And the Roman world was known for one thing, it's peace, that was secured by its sheer, brutal strength, power, and force. We will have a world of peace or we will kill you. That is Pax Romana. Read history. That's the centralizing theme of the longest lasting government on the face of the earth in human history. 1,500 years the Romans ruled the world. And in that period of time, friends, they exercised their power with dominance until it eroded from within. And what Mark is trying to do at the height of their power in the first century, he is speaking to them against the backdrop of the greatest power ever known to mankind. And he's saying this, there is a greater power than we could even imagine than this. And it is the power of the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Mark is telling us this, when the powers and the kingdoms of this world crumble, Jesus will stand supreme and secure. He will not be threatened by anyone or anything. And so he focuses on this supreme power of the gospel in his record of the Great Commission. And it marks us, friend. He uses phrases like, preach the gospel to the whole of creation. It's our domain in the world in which we live. The gospel is going forth and this is the Father's world in which we live. And he's saying this, whoever believes will receive eternal life. This is our aim for ministry. In the domain of all creation, we're preaching for whoever will believe so that each and every one can come into saving faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Mark's telling us that the gospel is the good news of God's power to save us from our sin and he is telling us as Christians that it is our commission that the proportion to the gospel's power determines the extent to which we serve it that we exercise our commission in other words there is no limit in all of creation where God's power is not sufficient to save no matter who it is no matter where they are 
Mark is telling us God can save. He's asking us if we will believe this. John chapter 1 verse 12 reminds us that to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Let this settle deeply in your heart. There has never been nor shall there ever be one who prays for God to forgive their sin and to save their soul when God will say, "Mm, I don't think so. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be, not shall, not might, not I'll put you in the list and see if we can get you. He says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the power of the good news that marks our life, Christians. And that power does two things for us. It charges us. It charges us to look out into this world in which we live and to ask of the Lord, Lord, where are you leading me? Where has your authority established these feet to hit the ground and tread up on to bring good news to people? Because I know no matter where you lead me, no matter what you call me to do, in that place, your authority reigns and I want to bring the power of the good news of Jesus Christ people. It's our charge, friends, and here's what we can understand from that charge, is there is never a person who is too far for God to save. That's what we believe. That's what we believe, that, that there is never a person, there is never a situation which God cannot fully redeem because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something, Christian. Are there people in your life whom because of situation or circumstance, maybe you have said, maybe because of the efforts and the trying ceaselessly that you have given to them when you have said, I really don't know if this person could or can be saved by God. Don't ever let yourself go there. And I know we can get down and we can get frustrated and we can find to no end the reasons why it's over. But it's never over as long as there's breath in those lungs that can breathe out, Jesus is Lord. And what Mark commends to us is he places upon our life an understanding of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach people no matter how far they have strayed, no matter how far they live from him. God can reach them and he will save them if they repent and believe. Now that charge immediately creates a challenge, does it not? What's the challenge It's not so much the challenge of the person you've never met on the other side of the world that we so often theoretically bring up and talk about. Would God save them? Could God save them? Has God saved them? Why wouldn't God save them? And you're like, what person is that? You see, we need to quit worrying about the theories that we conjure up in our mind, and we need to worry about the neighbor that we can't stand across the cul-de-sac. Because God hasn't called us to somebody we don't know in a place we're not sure where it is. If he had called us there, we'd know who they were and we'd know where it was and we'd be on our way to get there. But let me tell you who God has called you to. He's called you to the people that you interact with every day. He's called to the people you live around, you live next to. He's called to the people that you live in the house with. 
your family. He's called you to the people that you work next to. He's called you to the people that are in your neighborhood. He's called you to the people of this city. He's called you to the people of this world. And what Mark is challenging us with is this. Do not stop believing that anyone is ever outside of the reach of God's saving power. Preach the gospel to the whole of creation. Whoever believes will be saved. That brings us to our third mark. Because what Luke does is he takes this idea of gospel power and he presses it from the macro to the micro, from the big picture to the intimate details. Luke chapter 24, we already read this earlier in the worship, but I want to grab two verses, actually two and a half, the end of verse 46 and verse 47 and 48, and here's how Luke defines the gospel, the commission that we have in the gospel. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Do you see what Luke does here? Luke says this, because the Christ suffered and died and on the third day rose, because of that. So the gospel is not just a stagnant message, it is a living truth. Because of that, he says, repentance and the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed to all in his name. You see, the gospel is not just our message, it is our mission. And it defines the mission that God has given to us because of what God has done in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me read to you Luke's second record of what I would call the Great Commission. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, for Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The third defining mark of mission upon our life is this, that mission means we are marked with divine power to reach the whole world. We are marked with divine power to reach the whole world. Now, here's what Luke does, where Mark said, hey, preach the gospel to the whole of creation and whoever believes. Luke says this, that because of the gospel, we should go to everyone. We go to our city and to the neighboring cities, all the way to the very ends of the earth, never ceasing to help people understand the message of the gospel by the way that we live it out in our mission. He expands to focus on the unlimited scope of gospel proclamation. Proclamation, not only in this worldly, earthly, physical realm, but also in the spiritual and the emotional and the, the inner being realm of the individual. And what Matthew does is he authorizes us to go. He says, wherever your feet hit the ground, know this, Jesus is Lord right there. And what Luke reminds us is this, but when you get there, tell somebody. that Don't be quiet about it. Let people know. Let people know that, that God has sent you. You see, Jesus suffered and he died in our place. And remember what Luke was. He was a physician before he became an author. 
His intricate mindset is set upon the healing powers of medicine to help people physically be healed. And he's applying that here. He said, Jesus suffered in our place and he died our death. Luke knew suffering. He had sat and held the hands of his patients who had suffered unto death. He had seen the physical ravaging of sin upon the physical body in our life. But he said this, Jesus suffered physically in our place for our spiritual sins and he died our ultimate death for those sins we need not suffer sins ravaging ills we need not live as prey to satan's deceiving schemes we need not succumb to the graves always terminal in and to hell's eternal torment for the power of the gospel is far and incomparably greater than any adversary that you might meet in this life and any of his foes that he sends out against against you for jesus forgives sin when we repent and we believe. You see, what Luke, the great doctor, is doing is he's declaring absolute eternal spiritual healing to the one who is suffering from sin and all the consequences and the ramifications of it in every aspect of their life. He's going to the heart. He's getting to the inner organs and he's saying, at the core of your being, when you get past all the physical stuff, there is the center of who you are. There is a soul that is depraved and cannot know God, but I'm telling you, that's where God meets you to save you right where you are. And here's what we see, friends. Luke tells us that we are not the sick in search of a healer, but the healer is the one searching for the sick. That's who we are as Christians, that we, we are assistants of the great physician the great healer who's going out and saying, there is one who forgives your sins. There is one who heals your eternal sickness and he has the power to make you whole. Preach forgiveness because only through repentance and forgiveness will healing come to our life for the sin upon us. We know, Christian, because we've been forgiven by the hand of the healer and we are his Weaknesses, witnesses, sorry. We have the power that God has given us to declare that he saves to the uttermost from sin. And he says you can do this beginning at home. That's why we talk a lot about neighbor to nation as our missional strategy. Because listen, friends, the extent to which we serve the gospel and preach it and proclaim it and share it here at home will ultimately be the determinant for how effective we do whatever we do at the ends of the earth. We can't go do there something totally different than what we're living here. That's why every week the gospel must be central to all that we do to keep us centered in all that God is calling us to. The fourth mark I want you to see this morning is simply this, that mission means we are marked with a commission and entrusted to do God's work. 
Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 21, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So we've come full circle. In the first core value we saw, relationship means that we are alive with God. We are saved from our sin and given life with God. And it culminates through the work of God within us for this, that the God who saves is the same God who sins, and the one he saves is the one he sends. There is no one who is saved who is not sent by God. So if you today have repented of your sins and received forgiveness in Jesus Christ, I want you to know you live under the commission of God upon your life. And we also hear from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 what this commission means, that we have been entrusted with the message of of reconciliation with God and entrusted we have been and he says this it's as if we are his ambassadors that's exactly what it means to be commissioned you see John and Paul both emphasize our commission from Jesus not as an add-on to life I do my life and I go about my way I got my family responsibilities I do my job and then oh yeah I got to do a little bit of mission on the side it's absolutely a creation of the modern day church It couldn't be further from wrong. You see, a commission that we've been entrusted with and we live as ambassadors means that no matter what you're doing, no matter where you are or who you are with, you are God's. And because of where you are and his authority is there, you are sent there for a purpose. And God wants to use you right there with those people for his purposes and for the glory of his name. That's what Paul tells us. Christian, every day where you are, God has commissioned you to be there. You are never, hear me, you are never outside of the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ. You may be like Jonah running from him, but even when you get under that bush because you've come to the end of your physical ability, God is still there. His commission is still upon you and he's still calling you to his work. Will you say yes? To what he wants you to do, where he leads you to go, with whom he brings you into the life of. I'm going to ask the worship team to return. I want to remind you that God saves through Jesus to send his followers with the Holy Spirit to impact the world with the gospel. How are we doing this? Well, several weeks ago, as I started this whole series, I introduced a strategy to you. These beloved bookmarks, three simple things I want to ask you to do. Pray, identify somebody that you're praying for in your life every day. You may not say the same prayer for them every day, but you know that God won't let them go from your mind. And you're praying that God would do a work in their heart, wherever they are with God. You may know, you may not know. Pray that God will show that to you. And as the Lord leads you, invest. Invest in them. Give some time and have coffee or have lunch and talk to them about spiritual matters. Talk to them about what God has done in your life. That's all you have to do. You're just a witness, friends. And as the Lord makes those opportunities available, engage with the gospel. Just simply share with them that God wants to do in their life what he does in the life of every person who repents and asks for forgiveness. He's good. He saves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you that you are a God who saves. May all of our life as Christians be given.
to letting the good news of Jesus Christ be made known over all the earth. In Jesus' name.